Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing in our midst. Thank you, Lord, for changing our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together as a family, giving us purpose and a home in heaven. Thank you for redeeming and restoring us through the gospel. We pray this morning we would see the gospel most clearly as we read your word and apply it to relationships in general and marriage in particular. Change our hearts, Lord, for that is why we have come here this morning. We are ready for you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a recent study of teenagers who attended church uh, during their childhood. So these are church kids, right? You typically think of them as kids that get, they had a drug problem, where their parents drug them to church all the time. But so they grew up in church. And for most of them, church experience was a positive aspect or part of their lives. And here's the thing. Nine out of ten church teenagers said their church experience, experience exposed them to Bible stories. Good, right? Nothing wrong with learning Bible stories. Taught them about the lives of great people in the Bible, right? It's good. Gave them fun experiences related to religion. I love fun. You guys know that. Church ought to be fun, so there's nothing wrong with that. And all those are in the 90 to 95 percentiles of all these kids. But only half of these kids said their church experience helped them understand the Bible enough to help them make decisions based on biblical principles. What happened? Now, this message today is not about Kids and teenagers leaving the church and losing their faith or not understanding how to live life in the world. That's not what it's about. What it is about is what are we learning in church? What are we learning here? Because knowledge, I'm telling you, is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. And too many times I think Christians, they kind of feel good when they've learned a lot. And they're in a lot of good Bible studies. And don't get me wrong, those are good things. But knowledge is not enough. Knowledge without power, we've been singing about that this morning, haven't we? Power, where does power come from? Blood of Jesus, comes from Christ, comes from the gospel. Knowledge, what you know without power, is useless. And so, here we got from these kids who learned a lot, but maybe weren't prepared properly, weren't told about the gospel, weren't given the resources and the understanding of where their strength lies in a fallen and broken world We've got to get to the power of our faith to live in this life, especially in this covenant called marriage. Now, we've been in Ephesians 5, and you take your Bibles out. I hope you have one today. If not, there's one in the seat back in front of you. And you go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to get there in just a moment, but we're going to continue talking about this topic of relationships. Because sometimes if we know what to do, if we have our head knowledge, but we don't know how to apply it, we don't know really where we look to to get the strength to live that out, it becomes useless. If I've got to go, you know, move some rocks in the garden, and it's a 500-pound boulder sitting out there, I know it's got to come out. Because, you know, my wife makes sure those 500-pound boulders are out of her garden. So i got to move it. 
But I need some power. I need some source of strength that's not found in me to be able to move that boulder. Boy, that's a lot like the Christian life, isn't it? There's some big boulders out there. And you can't move them on your own. You think you can, but we can't. And then we fail and we get so miserable in the Christian life. So today we're going to look about uh, the covenant of this thing called marriage. But I want you to see the message behind the message today. I want you to think deep. I'm going to actually challenge you to think theologically just for a little bit this morning. Okay, so we're going to think kind of deep. Two final points as we, as we close out this series about marriage and relationships and the covenant of marriage. We're going to look at Christ and the gospel being not only the example for us, but the experience and the source and the strength of our power. We're going to look at the example that we have of Jesus to what the marriage covenant should be. Because it's in Jesus and now he lived his life and, and the whole picture that he paints with him and his church that we look to our marriages and say, yes, I can compare those. That's my knowledge. That's how I get my example of what I'm supposed to be like as a wife or as a husband. And we also need to learn to depend on the experience we have in Jesus as our source and as our strength to live out the covenant relationship. So it all comes back to the gospel, the foundation of the covenant relationship. Before we go any further, I just want to make sure we understand what the gospel is. And it's amazing that most Christians can't really articulate well what the gospel is. Remember, we start off this thing in life called being dead. We're walking dead people, spiritually dead. Our hearts have, have no relationship with God. Consumed with self, consumed with the world, we are dead in our sins, in our trespasses, the Bible says, and we're declared hopeless. And so there's only one destination for hopeless people who are separated from God, and we all know that's hell. Now, that's the fact of the gospel, and it's, it's not a pretty fact, and it's not one that we like to dwell on a lot, but you know what? The fact is, separated from God, when we die, we spend eternity away from him. And that's what we call hell. So we're in, a, we're in a pickle. In North Carolina, we would say you're in deep weeds because you're hopeless and helpless unless God does something to get you out of that situation. And here's the great thing that we've been singing about this morning. God's love and God's mercy sends Jesus in our place to take the punishment for what we should have received for our sin and our rebellion. And now through our faith, our relationship with God is restored and we're adopted into this family, and God is our Father. We have a new life to begin living out. We're given an inheritance in heaven, and we're given a mission on earth, and that is the gospel. And we're going to see how that understanding comes into our understanding, our knowledge, and our living out the source of our marriage and our relationships. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to kind of review a little bit of where we've been, kind of refresh our minds a little bit about this covenant that God's talking about, and then we're going to look at our example and our, uh, our source and our strength to live it out. So Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says this, um, talking about unity, right? This book is about unity. He says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So understand, he's talking to people who have a, rever a reverence for Christ. They love Christ. These are Christ-loving people. They are submitting themselves 
to God and his teaching. Then he goes on to talk about the relationship of men and women. Remember, the, the covenant that we we're talking about is this covenant that, that God created in the Garden of Eden. He brought Eve to Adam and said, here's your wife. And he said, thank you, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For this reason, this unity of, of what man and woman would accomplish together, a man will leave his family and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one. That's the covenant. God's in the middle of that, we'll look at this morning. You can't really have that covenant without God being in the middle of it somehow, some way. So then we read, what are the duties? What are the we talk about needs and responses, if you remember that from a few weeks ago. Each partner in the marriage has a need. And the other partner's responsibility is to provide a certain response. So we got this whole thing about a need and a response. A need of the woman and the response of the man. The need of the husband and the response of the wife. And so these, boy, these verses continue discussing that. Verse 22, wives be subject to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. So there's the needs and responses there. The need of the husband is to be respected. Wife, your job is to submit to him as the leader of your house. That's your job. Job description. Right? Remember we said it wasn't about superiority. Both men and women created equal in the eyes of God. Both have the same value before God. It's not about superiority. It's about the authority, the, 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 um, the order that God has created in the family for it to work correctly. So then he talks about the needs of the wife. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we, we see there that the need of the wife is to what? To be loved sacrificially, unconditionally, Husbands, love your wives that way. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Then notice the language. It kind of changes a little bit. It starts talking about Jesus and the church. So that he, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Those are terms of sanctification. So that he, Jesus, might present to himself the church. That's us. In all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. It's the purpose of what Jesus is doing with the church. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. He talks about the covenant. It's the reason why man comes and leaves mom and dad and comes to live with the wife because there's a covenant that's involved here. And then he says this in verse 32, and this is the context of this morning's message. He says, this mystery is great. And so some of you are probably thinking, yes, mystery. How do I submit to that man? Mystery. How do I love that woman? Mystery. Don't know how to do it. See, and Jesus says, look, or, or Paul says, the apostle Paul says, this mystery is great, but I'm not speaking about you two. He says, I am speaking with reverence, reference to Christ and the church. So the context of how we see marriage in this example that we look to is not necessarily just me and you, or me and you, know, you, and, you and your spouse. It's about what Jesus is doing with his church. That's the picture he's trying to get us to look at. So the context of the needs and the responses is the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's doing with his church. Christ is our example, and we look to him 
to make sense of this covenant. He is our example that we look to. And we don't do it because of the other person, but because of the model of Christ that God is showing the world in marriage. God is showing the world something in marriage. He is showing his wisdom. He is showing his love. He is showing his mercy. He is displaying the gospel through marriage. Have you ever looked at your marriage like that? It's a gospel reflection to the world. You see, Jesus is the compelling picture of how to live and love and die in this life. So we keep looking to him to make our marriages stronger. And so we're going to look at these, these passages again real quickly. But as we look at the husband and the wife and what they're supposed to be doing, the example is not just the husband and wife and what they're supposed to be doing, but looking at the example of Jesus. So ladies, when we talk about submitting, we review that real quick here in just a few moments. We had a whole message on it. We're not going to go into that great detail. But remember we talked about you submitting to your wife or to your husband. We look at it in the context of Jesus submitting to his father. Jesus submitted to his father to come here to die for us. The will of the father was for him to do that and Jesus did it. Husbands, when we talk about how much you're supposed to love and sacrifice for your wives, we look at the example of Jesus who came and died to save his wife. The bride the church, the analogy that scripture uses for all God's people is his bride called the church. So just real quickly, we look back in verse, verse 22. Wives, respect, submit, be subject to your own husbands. Here's the two words, the circle, as to the Lord. Remember the picture we're looking at. This is Jesus and the church, what Jesus did, the gospel. It's the gospel picture of marriage. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, not as, as if he is, is Jesus, or as if he is Jesus, I'm sorry. Not if he acts like it, but as he, if he is Jesus. Not if he deserves it, but as he is. Ladies, see the picture. He's saying submit in everything. Remember we had that little discussion about if Jesus came to your house, ladies, and he asked you for a sandwich, what kind of sandwich would you make Jesus? You'd be digging through the cupboards, wouldn't you? Yeah, Jesus is not going to get that day you know, leftover stuff. Jesus is going to get the good sandwich, isn't he? You know, with all the pretty lettuce, you know, the iceberg lettuce. It's going to look pretty. It's going to be a pretty sandwich. You're going to cut the corners off of it, maybe make a little triangle thing. Jesus is going to get the best sandwich you ever made, right? So what kind of sandwich do you make for your husband? Yeah, as if he is Jesus. The two of you decide to, you know, husband and wife are going to go out to lunch after, uh, after church today. And he wants Mexican and you want Chinese. Ladies, where are you going? What's what y'all laughing about? Somebody said Italian? Yeah. yeah. That's a trick question. Yeah, but if Jesus was going for Mexican, you'd go with him, wouldn't you? Boy, it got quiet. If Jesus is going for Mexican, ladies, where are you going to go? Yes, of course you are. Submit to the husband, submit to them as to the Lord in everything. The context is in the family, okay? 
Why do you do that, lady? Remember the picture. What's the example we're looking at? Because you love God, and you know what the example is. The example is Jesus. Jesus submitted to the Father. I can submit to him as if he is. We're going to get to the power that helps you do that later. That's the second half of the message, okay? But right now, you've got to see the picture, the example of Jesus. Ladies, that's why that, piss, that passage is in there. All right, so... Be subject to your holding husbands as unto the Lord. Now, guys, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as. Boy, those two words get me every time. Just as. Circle those words, guys. That's how you're supposed to love your wife. Just as Christ. You're supposed to love your wife as if you are Jesus to her. As when she sees you and your love for her, she sees Jesus. Ladies, if you think as unto is a high standard, you have no idea about just as. Right? It's a high standard to love your wife like Jesus does. In fact, men, it's unreachable. It is such a high standard, you can't get there in your own strength. But there it is. Men, see the picture. Your love is supposed to look like how Jesus loves your wife. He is the example who died for his bride, died for his church, took the sins of the world upon him to save his church. Guys, that's our example. That's our picture of the gospel that's supposed to be living out in our lives. Die for her. And I know a lot of you, after yesterday, you're good with a firearm. I can see that. And I know if somebody tries to break in the house, you're, you're grabbing the SIG and you're running down there and you're going to protect her. I get that. But guys, will we give up the remote for her? You know what most fighting is about in the home? Go or watch it on TV tonight. So we're supposed to love our wives when she is not, and ladies, I know this doesn't very happen very often, is not lovely and lovable. Because you are most of the time. I, I get that. So men, when she's not lovely and when she's not lovable, you love her anyway because that's the way Jesus loves. And you love her till she changes. And you take it like Jesus took it on the cross until the church changes. Love just as Christ. Don't say she won't change. Now, you can't change her for sure. We've covered that, I think. You can't change your wife. Just why you can't change your husband. But God says she will change. How do I know that? Because the passage says, it goes on to say, that what Jesus is doing, he is sanctifying her, washing her in the water of the words so that he might present to himself a wife that has no spot and no wrinkle. And do we have spots and wrinkles now? Yes. Let me help you out with that. Yes. We have spots and we have wrinkles. Jesus is taking care of that church family. And so if we are changing collectively into more like the image of Christ, the expectation is that he can change your wife too. And so if you've been married for 20 years and she is all still mean and surly, you know what problem you got, guys? You got a love problem. You're not loving your wife enough like Jesus loves 
So let's put it in, in the analogy of the sandwich making thing, right? She's going to make the sandwich as if it was for Jesus, but you stop her to say, no, let me make you the sandwich. That's the picture, isn't it? Jesus says, no, I'll make you the sandwich, bride. That's the purpose we see in the gospel, that men and women were made in the image of God. We call that the imago Dei in the Latin. You're made in the image of God, and every person born carries somewhat of the image of God. Even a fallen one, after what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God's word and fell from his grace, they still have somewhat of an image of God. And then we know that because of the fall, sin and death entered the world. Because of that rebellion. The same sin and death that we struggle with today. The same misery and the pain that we struggle with today. Back pain. Disease pain. All that pain. All that stuff that's out there in the world is there because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Frustration. Anger. Resentment. Selfishness. Pride. And I can go on. All of that entered into the marriage relationship because all those things are inside each one of us. You bring that baggage into your marriage. I don't care who you are. I don't care what marriage it is. You can have the fairy tale wedding of the universe, but you're bringing sin and you're bringing frustration and anger and selfishness and pride. You're bringing that junk into your marriage, and now two sinners who are both so selfish and have all that junk in their hearts are trying to live together as one under one roof. You tell me how successful is that going to be in their own home. That's why we fight. James says the reason why you fight is because you want your own way. That is the source of quarrels among you, not just in married couples, but everybody. That's why we argue, because you want to get your own way. However, this is the gospel picture that we're going to look at this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the one we described earlier, how Jesus came and sacrificed his life for us so that we can, through faith, have a relationship with God, be redeemed and restored and adopted and given a new life and a new family and a new hope. That same gospel of Christ, when you believe that through faith, begins the work of restoration of that. See, the good news of God sending Jesus to die for our penalty is because we owe God something we can't pay and we get, in exchange for our faith, a new life and a new family all because of faith. Talking about restoration, the purpose of the gospel is restoration. Not just of your own soul. It's a good starting point. You've got to start with that. But the gospel is about restoring everything. The restoration of individuals being remade in the likeness of Christ. The restoration of relationships being remade in the image of a family and the restoration of the union between a man and a woman and God that was sacred from the beginning that has fallen oh so far from where it began in the garden. So look, if you want to build a stronger marriage, don't look to the world for your answers. Don't look to self-help or pop psychology to figure out why and what your marriage needs to look like. Instead, look to the gospel. Look to Jesus. And what we do and the reason why we do it, the as unto and the just as, why do we do that? Because that's the example in the gospel that Jesus gives us. We see it first in the gospel. The example of Christ is compelling and it's empowering knowledge. So we need to get our heads right. We need to understand why he's telling us to do the things we're supposed to do here. And you know, at some point I think we need to look around and see, do we have any examples like that in our lives? 
Do we look to some couple who is living out this covenant the way the gospel says you should, the way Jesus says you should? Do we have those kind of people in our lives or even in our family? Because I think the big problem we have in church today is we don't have enough gospel-believing couples mentoring and discipling other gospel-believing couples and how do you live out this gospel in the marriage covenant? We need more of that. You, you more older folks, like me, okay, I'm in that group. If you're 40 years and older, you're in that older group, okay? And a lot of you are not. But if you are, look, you don't have to be old age to live a gospel-centered, foundational covenant life. But man, if you're having that kind of a marriage, that's not perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. You need to be showing that to other people. You need to be discipling the young ones so that they can see what it is we're supposed to be living like. We have no examples anymore. We're losing them. So if you want to build a stronger marriage, first look to the example of Christ, and then look to the gospel as the power in the covenant. Remember the example? We look closely at Christ, and the experience is we live, we live closely in Christ. So how does this apply? How do we become uh, application uh, savvy in the way of the gospel, not just knowing it, not just knowing what the pages mean, but how do we live that out? It's like that 500-pound boulder. You know it's got to be moved. You've been told it's got to be moved. You cannot move it on your own. Where do you go for help? We go to the gospel. Because we need to be experiencing a full and rich relationship with Christ, loving Christ, and, and as, as uh, Chaps prayed today, letting him love you. And this is not about your spouse. Don't think this is going to be about your spouse the rest of the time this morning. Or your future spouse if you're not married. You know, here's the progression of marriage. And I know we've got a lot of folks in the, in the early stages of marriage here. We're praying for you, okay? You'll get the, the wedding and the excitement about the wedding. I think that our culture spends way too much time on the wedding. You know, uh, I, uh, what's that, go say yes to the dress and I found the gown and what else is there? I don't know. We spend way too much time thinking about the ceremony and all the trappings of it and not realizing we're talking about two people living the rest of their life together. Two sinners who bring pride and selfishness into the same roof. Oh, my gosh. That's what we need to be talking about. So there's the wedding. Then there's the honeymoon, right? Honeymoons last different times for different people, you know? There are times when I... I think Nancy and I are 15 years. We're still on a honeymoon, right? But then we see the first signs of trouble. Little arguments. Didn't get my way. She won't agree. Can't do this. Can't get him to do that. First signs of trouble, right? And you all know what I'm talking about. Anybody been married less than a year here? Less than a year or at a year? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay, so we've got, we've got one couple back there. No signs of trouble yet? Everything okay? Okay, good. First signs of trouble, right? Then we start to struggle because we want to change our spouse. We want to change them. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. We want to change them. And then the realization is we can't. They're just not going to do it. And somewhere between the struggle and the realization, here's what we get. Friends' advice, counselors, Pastors, sometimes even medication, right? To help us get through that painful period. Dear ones, I think we've missed the essence of the truth 
about marriage, it's not designed to help you fashion the mate that you want. It's not necessarily even about your own happiness. Wow, did I really say that? Yeah. Yeah, here's what marriage really is about. It's designed to let God fashion you into the mate he designed you to be. That's what marriage is really all about because it's a picture of Jesus and his church. It's not about happiness. It's about holiness. And when men and women really believe the gospel and they let it influence their lives and help them make decisions, something inherently changes in their relationship. For example, if a, a husband who relates authentically with Christ and a wife who relates authentically to Christ and they get this in their head and they're living this out in the power of the gospel. The byproduct of that relationship is an authentic, loving relationship between them and Christ. I want to show them one last time the marriage triangle. Or maybe not. Not happening? We're dead? Imagine a triangle. <laughs> this is when I need my whiteboard, huh? Yeah, it's in your bulletin. Imagine a triangle right there, right? You see it. Husband, wife, God at the top, God at the center. Holy and sacred union, right? There's supposed to be intimacy with God. And so what God is doing through the gospel is he's restoring our relationship. And so the more you think about moving towards God, the closer you get to who? What does it say? Your spouse. The more you move towards your spouse, biblically, you get closer to the more intimate to who? God. It's crazy how that works, isn't it? You start living out the gospel and living out your marriage the way the Apostle Paul has described it here, and you start actually becoming more intimate not only with your spouse, but with God. And let me tell you, there is nothing, nothing on this earth like the intimate relationship of a man and a woman who are spiritually connected together and to God. There is nothing like it. The problem is that sometimes we want to put our fig leaves back on like we had in the Garden of Eden, right? Because we, we connect with them instead of with God. Remember in the, in the Garden, Adam and Eve connected with their fig leaves. They covered their nakedness and their shame, and they concealed it. But what did God do? He says, take, take those off and let me give you something to cover it. Concealing and covering, two different things. Big difference. God is covering, and only God can cover that type of shame and nakedness. He replaced it with his own provision. The first time blood was shed was for covering Adam and Eve's nakedness. God did that because he cared about them. And when we have that spiritual intimacy with God, we have a spiritual oneness with our wife as well. You know, there's a lot of demands of marriage. We've been talking about these the last few weeks, about what it takes to live out a biblical marriage. It's hard hard to submit to a man that you're not thinking he's always a great leader, isn't it, ladies? It's hard to sacrifice for a woman that you just don't think regards you very highly, is it, men? And you might be saying, I'm just not there yet. Well, if you're saying that this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something, and it's not to look at the other person. Look to Christ. Don't even look to yourself. Look to Christ. Look to his example. Look to your faith. Look to God, and he'll give you what you need to live out the example of Christ found in the gospel. Let's practice a little gospel this morning. 
Let's look to the gospel of Christ for our example and our strength. Remember the context of what we're going to talk about here is the experience that we have with, with God in Christ. The experience that we have is where our gospel power comes from. So, let's say I need to show love. Having a real unloving moment right now. And my wife really needs me to love her sacrificially. Or the wife might be saying, I really need to love my husband by submitting to him right now. Because I see it in scripture, but man, I'm just not feeling it. So where would you go? What would you do? How about 1 John 4, 19? We love, why? Because he first loved us. There's the resource to draw out unconditional love that we need to give our wives or our husbands. Don't look to the other person. Don't even look to yourself. Look to the gospel. Look to Christ. Look, Christ loved you when you were unlovable. That's the gospel. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that you were so unlovable that nobody could love you and yet Jesus did anyway and died for you? When you were in the world being a sinner and loving it, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, Christ died for us, the ungodly, just the right time. Do you believe that this morning? That's gospel power. If you believe that Christ died for you when you were unlovable, then why can't you love your wife? Why can't you submit to your husband? And I need to show forgiveness. I'm having a real unforgiving moment. And I need to, my, maybe I've been hurt, right? We get hurt all the time. Somebody's always going to hurt us. Spouse is going to hurt us. Boss is going to hurt us. Kids are going to hurt us. We're always going to get hurt emotionally, physically, spiritually. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as, boy, there's the word, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Don't look to yourselves when you've got to forgive someone. Don't look to them. Don't look to you. The strength is not in you. Look to forgiveness in Christ. That's the gospel. Because God forgave us when we hadn't done anything to deserve forgiveness. And it costs a lot to forgive somebody, doesn't it? You're never going to get back that, that retribution. You're never going to get back that apology or that that. I want them to pay for that. You're never going to get that when you forgive them unconditionally. It costs you something to forgive. But don't look to yourself. Look to the gospel. What did it cost God to forgive us? Everything. His precious son is what it cost him so that he could forgive us. And yet I can't forgive her. I can't forgive him. Really? then you're not believing the gospel because that's the power to forgive. Look to Christ as our source and the strength to give. You know, sometimes we've got to give our spouses comfort. You know, guys, you're going to have to be comforting your wives the rest of their life. And, and ladies, we need your comfort a lot more than we'll ever admit. And sometimes it's hard, especially when you've just run out of gas and you can't give anymore. What do you do? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Look, love and forgiveness and mercy and compassion and comfort, that's the message of the gospel. That's the New Testament, by the way. <laughs> that's what it is. 
Look to Christ who suffered for us to comfort us when we are afflicted so that we can comfort others. God is redeeming your suffering. God is redeeming the enduring pain that you have to go through. God is redeeming all of that so that you can comfort someone else when the time comes. It's gospel purpose. God never sets us up for failure. Boy, that's good, isn't it? God never sets us up for failure. He always sets us up for faith. Because with faith comes power, the power of the gospel. And that's a powerful truth that you need to grasp this morning. Look, you cannot love your wife biblically like Ephesians 5 as Christ loved the church without faith. You cannot respect and submit to your husband biblically like Ephesians 5 without faith. His spirit indwelling you. You can't do it. We need gospel power. And look, the gospel power that we have is resurrection power. Let's not forget that. The Holy Spirit living in believers gives them power to do the things that God requires them to do. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives in you, believers. Do you believe that this morning?
here. I hope you believe that this morning. If not, come see me after the service. Because there's going to be a lot of smote me so long ago. God could have smote me before I came to faith, back when I was just a wicked pagan living for myself in the world. God could have smote me then, and he did not. He was patient with me. Why cannot not I have patience now, knowing the gospel power that lives in me to be patient? Compassion, strength, hope, security. Are you lacking those things in your marriage? Are you lacking those things in any relationship? The gospel is the answer. God always has enough strength. God always has enough hope. God always has enough security. God is very sure about himself. He's very sure about his purposes. And he always has enough strength to make sure what he puts in motion comes to fruition. Even on the worst day in history, when Jesus hung on the cross and it looked like Satan had won, even then God was fully in charge, full of hope, full of security, knew exactly how things were going to turn out, and he was okay with it. Crushed, it. crushed him, but he did it for us. God had not given up hope even when Jesus was on the cross because he was hopeful in himself. Why can we not have hope and strength and security in our marriages when we look to the gospel purpose of God? Here's the big thought of this series. The final takeaway as we close this morning, as we close out the series. The primary method of building my marriage. You ready for it? Here it is. Don't focus on your spouse. Don't focus on your marriage. Primary method for me to build my marriage is for me to submit myself to the God who created me. Boy, it can't be that simple. Grow in relationship to him Know the gospel, believe the gospel, practice the gospel. You do that, and you're going to build a stronger marriage. You're going to strong any relationship. You start looking at who God is and what he did for me in Christ, and how does that knowledge change my life to be different, not just intellectually, but practically and authentically with the power of a changed heart and mind. And it won't come to you naturally. It won't come to you uh, except supernaturally. It's beyond you. It's the Holy Spirit that's alive in your heart and life. And when you lack these things that we've just been talking about, and then God provides them, who is your spouse going to see? Jesus. When you respond in a way you don't normally respond, they'll see Jesus. When you get out of what is, is not normally or natural, when you start giving what is not normally natural for you to give, and they see that giving, who are they going to see? Jesus. When your spouse sees those things, they will see the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you, and that is good news. That's a gospel-fluent marriage at work, and it actually works. God's word really works. Every time, God's word really works. So in conclusion, I just want to ask a question this morning. When trouble comes in your relationships, marriage, yeah, it doesn't have to be marriage, it can be work, kids, friends. When trouble comes, as it always will, and you find yourself again in that place of, I'm trying to change them, but they're not changing, would you ask this question, please, and make it a prayer? God, what do I need to do to respond to you? 
doesn't respond to them. He responds to you. What are you telling me to do today in this relationship? Instead of focusing on your spouse or even your marriage, can you focus on your relationship with God, i.e., how are you using this to make me know you better, God? How are you using this to make me love you more? How are you making me more holy like Christ? And the next time that you realize that your struggle, you're between that uh, struggle and realization part of the marriage, and you realize that he or she is just not changing the way you want, and it's frustrating you to no end, will you please use what you know about Christ? what you know about his example. And would you say, I don't want to change her, and I want to live this out in the gospel. What do I need to do for you, God? Not to the marriage, not for her, but what can I do for you? There is no pat answer here. There is no solution to the problems in a marriage relationship that's just a, here you go, go do this. It doesn't work that way. When the battle heats up and when the anger sets in and that hopeless feeling of being alone starts to overwhelm you, then declare this, God, I can't do this. That boulder in the garden, I can't move it, Lord. But you can. In fact, God, you already did. In Jesus, you moved the boulder for me. I just need to tap into that. And when you do that, you're going to experience peace beyond understanding. It's not going to make sense. It'll just be peaceful. Marriage will be different. Relationships will be different. You'll start to know Christ better, and you'll experiencing him more, and you're going to love him more, and you trust God to change and convict your spouse. Remember, if you don't connect uh, uh, if you don't connect God to God spiritually, you will connect to something else. You'll put a fig leaf on if you don't connect to God. Don't set your spouse up to meet expectations that only God can meet. Don't make them God to look to for fulfillment, for unconditional love, mercy, and forgiveness. Instead, let God be God, know him better, love him more, and he will change you. That's the message. That's the final point this morning. Let God change you, understanding the example we have in Christ in the gospel and the power we have in Christ in the gospel. And God will do the rest. Amen? To him be the glory all that he does. We're going to uh, partake of communion this morning.